Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G-Wiz, which means it's perfectly safe for folks and families of all ages to enjoy with Cheese Wiz. Hey, and welcome back to Mutual Presents, our sneak look into the Mutual Audio YouTube channel, which presents amazing old-time radio classics from our spiritual pater, the Mutual Broadcasting System. I'm Jack Ward, and as always, that earlier spacey theme music comes from the incredibly talented Sharon B., who is our main composer, musician, and performer for Electric Vicuna Productions. This week, we take a trip into space, as every Wednesday, Wednesday Wonders presents Exploring Tomorrow with three fiction tales, First Contact, First Men on the Moon, and Flashback. So let's wind back the clock and begin today's features. Now step into the incredible, amazing future as we go exploring tomorrow. Now, here is your guide to these adventures of the mind, John Campbell, Jr. For many years, a lot of us have been interested in considering the possibilities of meeting other life forms, other intelligent beings from other stars. Now, if there is life out there, some form of life, and remember, it may be beyond our most far-fetched imaginations. If there is life, and we have our own Earth ships going out in constant regular deep space exploration someday, somewhere maybe even out in the gas cloud of the Crab Nebula sometime we will meet step it up step it up, the scanner maximum Maximum magnification. Maximum mag. Ma- more, ma- more. Sorry, sir. Max is max. You see? And you see? Bow visibly. Water it, water it. Water it, water it, sir. Step up the scanner. Step it up. Don't you understand? I've got to see. Nothing. According to the reading, Captain, nothing, sir. Sir, Captain, hold it. On the bow quarter. Huh? Solid object. 80,000 miles, sir. One o'clock. Unknown object changing. Changing. 12, 12 o'clock. Sound collision. Make ready, Mr. Dort. Now hear this. Now hear this. The captain will now address the ship. First, you've heard the collision alarm. You will all now take action stations. Man all weapons. Condition of extreme alert. Red. I repeat, red in all departments. Instrumentation tells us there is an unknown solid object less than 80,000 miles dead as we go. There is a locator beam on us. I repeat, 
There was an unknown locator on us, giving us unexpected feedback echo. Men, we are not a warship. May the Almighty be with us. That is all. Mister? Nothing, sir. Now I see nothing on the busy place. Oh. But radio locator. Here, look at it, sir. Up and down, up and down. Oh, something monstrous. Monster in size, sir. Making lunatic dashes toward us. At collision speed. Then skipping away at the same fantastic speed. We are not a warship. Here it comes. Here it goes away again. All on radio locate. On busy plate by eye, nothing. Can't detect a thing. How many solar systems in our galaxy? How many? How many planets fit for life? And how many kinds of life could there be? This ship isn't from Earth, and it isn't. It has a crew that isn't human. And things that aren't human but are up to the level of deep space travel in their civilization could mean anything. Yes, sir. Something like this has been talked about and speculated about for years. Mathematically, it's been an odds-on bet that somewhere in our galaxy there'd be another race with a civilization equal to or further advanced than ours. Nobody could ever guess where or when we'd meet them. But it looks like we've done it now. Well, do you suppose they'll be friendly, Captain? Thank the Almighty for the blasters. Here they come in for us fast again, sir. Oh! Pulling away again. Yes, I can read the beam. If you'll pardon, sir, the blasters are for meteorites, sir. They were never worthy, designed as space weapons. They can serve as pretty good ones. Because we don't know what they're like, you fool! And we can't take a chance. We can't trust them the fraction of an inch. Sure, I know. Let's try and find out all we can about them. Let's meet. Let's try to be friends with that ship out there. Well, we don't. And you realize why? Because they have locators. Because they might trace us all the way back home without our knowing it. And we can't risk a non-human race knowing where Earth is unless we're sure of them. And how can we be sure? Do you know, Mr. Dort? Do you know, Mr. Dort, with your sentimental Pollyanna slush pile that calls itself your brain, your mind? Unidentified object retreating against our locator, sir. Back and forth. Back and forth, the game goes on. They're afraid. We're afraid. Oh, sure. They could come to trade, of course. Import, export. That wouldn't hurt. Or maybe these creatures will be aesthetic marvels, nice and friendly and polite and underneath the Tojo type. But am I going to risk the possible future of the human race on a guess that it's safe to trust them? The one thing I won't risk is having them know how to find Earth. Either I know they can't follow me or I don't go home. Well, they probably feel the same way. Ready to ship for supplemental command. There, sir. By sight, on the busy plate. I see it. For the first time by eye. It's a small... No, sir. It's bigger and bigger. Bulb. Bulbous shape, like a pear. Headed for us at extremely high acceleration, sir. Hard about. Hard about, sir. <laughs> Put us about! Put us about! He's crossing the T! Dort, pass me a relay. Put a relay key to the blasters. Direct to the blasters under my hand. This is the captain. Ready, blasters. Collision course with unidentified space object. Maximum power. Ready, blasters, section one. This is it, men. Exploring Tomorrow continues in just a moment. All of us, as American citizens, 
believe in our inherent liberties and freedoms, such as the freedom of the individual to choose and elect his own national representatives. It has been said that there is only one ruling class in America, the people themselves who, through their vote, have established the law of our land. The real importance of this freedom depends on our accepting the responsibility not only to know what we are voting for or against, but also to choose our leaders for the best interests of the nation. So, accept your responsibility and ensure your freedom. Two spaceships, two scientific expeditions, each uncountable miles from their own home. One from Earth, one from where? The other ship stopped, Captain. Cut power. Quite stationary, sir. Captain DeCrew, steady as you are. Unidentified space object, now stationary. Do not fire. I repeat, fire only on command. This is a trick. You will fire only on command from myself and only when verified. As you are. Stop dead, sir. They are dead for sure. Have a look. How far do you make them? Range 20 miles, Captain. Now they're sending modulated short wave at us, sir. Frequency modulated? Yes, sir. Yes, I see your needle. Apparently a signal. Not enough power to do any harm. Look up in the left bow busy plate, sir. There's something now. Yes. I see movement on the outside of their hull. Their coal black hull. We shine like a mirror. Did you ever hear of a jet black spaceship, mister? We want to reflect a sun. Perhaps they... Want or need to absorb heat from a passing sun. Yeah, I know. Now, what's that thing? Small, round, whatever it is. It's, it's coming out of the side of the ship. Watch. Huh? You're dripping sweat on your instruments. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Yes, I realize what they're up to. If they sent anything toward us, it might seem a projectile or a bomb. So they come close, let out a lifeboat, and go away again. Figure we can send a boat or a man to make contact without risking our whole ship, too. Captain, that means... That means they think... Pretty much as we do. Yes, I'm glad that finally occurred to you. Mr. Dort, by law of space command, I'm not allowed to leave my ship except to jettison. Mr. Dort, this is not an order. No, sir. And would you care to go out and look the thing over, whatever it is? The alien ship continued to retreat. 40, 80, 400 miles. It came to a stop and hung out there, waiting. Earthman Tommy Dort climbing into his atomic-driven spacesuit inside the airlock, heard this mileage report and felt safer, but just a little bit safer. For if the unknown black space intruder had stopped its retreat at 400 miles, he reasoned it might not have weapons effective at a greater distance. But Tommy felt lonely and a little expendable, speeding toward that tiny black dot which hung in the incredible brightness of the star gas. 4,000 light years from his wife and family and home. Speeding toward that tiny black spot, the only solid object he could see in all this glowing space. And then he landed. It was a slightly distorted sphere, not much over six feet in diameter. There were small tentacles or horns projecting from this black space orange. They looked rather like the detonating horns of an old era submarine mine where there was a glint of crystal at the tip of each. 
Then through his suit, he began to feel vibrations. A section of the rounded hull beneath his feet opened up. He moved sideways fast. It opened up and out. And when he looked inside into the now open insides of the little sphere... No, he didn't see the first non-human civilized beings he expected. What he saw was simply a flat plate, and on that flat plate, a dim red glow of light came and went. Even inside the protection of his spaceship, Tom Dort felt the hairs in his neck rise and bristle. In momentary terror, he pressed his sleeve button switch communicator. Very good, Mr. Dort. Don't panic. No need to panic. Fix your scanner to look into that plate. Ah, uh, Harry, these creatures are our equal. But, 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 sir... They what? dumped out a robot with an infrared visiplate for communication is all. Not risking any personnel. Good SOP for them. Whatever we might do would only damage machinery. That's good. That means they value life as you value yours. Maybe, though, they expect us to pull you with a sphere in on board. It may have a bomb charge that can be detonated when they're ready to blow for their own home. I'll send a visiplate out for the man to face one of its scanners. You return to the ship. Well done, Dort. Yes, sir. But which way is the ship? Head straight away from the Double Star. We'll pick you up, Dort. A tiny black bulbous robot floated in space between two spaceships. Ours and theirs. It represented a culture. Theirs. Which was at least up to ours. Now our two races could be friends. We'd also be deadly enemies. We were a monstrous menace to them and they to us. And the only safe thing to do with a menace is, of course, to destroy it. This truce. Weeks and weeks. It started to get the crew. Mr. Dort. I'm busy. Still calculating, Captain. Uh, let's see. Where was I in thinking? How do we establish friendship without risk of treachery, hmm? Friendship is based upon confidence. Or is it? Can confidence be established in a foundation of necessarily complete distrust? If you can be patient a bit longer, sir, I think... I think I've figured out a way we can talk their language. I, I mean, communicate. Since they seem to be stone deaf. You can. I think, sir. You can? I believe now, sir, we can say almost anything we wish to them and understand what they say back. But, of course, sir, you'll, uh, you'll never be able to know how much of what they say is the truth. Well, neither will they about us. Go on, mister. Well, I've managed to hook up what amounts to a mechanical translator. We showed them our recorder in the vision plates, and they showed us theirs. They record the FM direct, I think. Now, they don't use sound at all, even in speech. My guess is, sir, that they use microwaves for what uh, you might call person-to-person -person conversation. I think they make shortwave trains as we make sounds. Telepathy? Yes, sir. I think, sir. I'm ready if you are. If you are... That is prepared to talk with their skipper. Turn on your mechanical translator. What? What shall I say to them, Dort? What shall I say? They're waiting. They keep sending something like a CQ. Oh. They're, uh, they're oxygen breathers, sir, and they appear not too dissimilar in certain ways. I'm sure I detected signs of irony. Iron? I mean, sir, 
that implies humor. In other words, sir, I think they could be likable. All right. Send this. Uh, hurry, sir. They're acting suspicious. All right. Say, uh, <clears throat> uh, the appropriate things about this uh, <clears throat> first contact of two dissimilar but civilized races... And that my hopes that a friendly intercourse between the two peoples will result. Excuse me, sir. What, what appropriate things? Oh, uh, just a second, sir. The, the skipper sends you the following, quote, That is all very well, but is there any way for us to let each other go home alive? I would be happy to hear of such a way if you can contrive one. At the moment, it seems to me that one of us must be killed. Unquote. All right, then. Send this. Look here out there, whoever you are. It looks like we have to fight, and one batch of us gets killed. All right, we're ready if we have to. But if you win, we've got it fixed so you'll never find out where Earth is. And there's a good chance we'll get you anyhow. We stayed here a month, and we've swapped information, and we don't hate each other. There's no reason for us to fight except to protect our races. Well... He says, sir, yes, all you say is true, but that his race has to be protected just as you feel that yours must be. He says, quote, perhaps this will help us to think clearly. Suppose we make it so we can't find each other's home planet, but leave a way to communicate in the future. So work out grounds for a common trust. If our governments want to be fools, let them. But we should give them the chance to make friends instead of starting a space war out of mutual panic, unquote. All right, I have it. Send this. Okay, sir. Whoever you are, let's swap spaceships. Send it, send it. He answers. Interesting. What is rest of your swapping proposal? Send this. Swap ships and crews. I remove all star charts and anything else evidential. He removes all his navigational records. We train each other's key crewmen, and I go for home with my crew and his ship. He goes for home with his crew and his ship. That's my proposal. Tell him that's final. If he refuses, I'll blast. Hold on, please, sir. He says, accepted. He says, accepted. With one proviso that we arrange to meet here at this star fix in exactly one astronom of the double star. Agreed. To us, that'll be a year. Send it. Now hear this. Now hear this. On signal, prepare to abandon ship. We sail for home as soon as we have learned to man controls of unidentified space object. And good Godspeed to us all. We will all see Earth again as soon as we are trained and we train them. assumption in the story we just heard that any intelligent entity can and may lie. We wonder just what a lie is and why it is that we expect intelligent entities to lie. Could a machine lie? Could an intelligent machine lie? Well, next, uh, next time we have a 
discussion on that that I think you'll find interesting. It's called Liar. fascinating adventure in Exploring Tomorrow. Heard in our cast tonight were Lon Clark and Lawson Zerby. Script was by Murray Leinster, adapted by Peter Irving. Produced and directed by Sanford Marshall here in New York. Bill Maher speaking. We pause now for station identification. science fiction. We make no guarantees, however, how long it will remain fiction. Exploring tomorrow. And now here is your guide to these adventures of the mind. The editor of Astounding Science Fiction Magazine, John Campbell, Jr. The scene is a missile testing base somewhere in the continental United States. The time, half past two on a Tuesday afternoon, five, maybe ten years from now. A rather unusual missile is getting worked over. Blast off is ten minutes away and the countdown is in its last stages. And a man is sitting inside this missile, waiting. The United States is about to make its first attempt to send a manned rocket to the moon. Nine minutes to blast off, Captain. Still feel loose and easy? Like a bird, Colonel. Waiting to be cut loose and sore. How do you feel? Me, Captain. I'm just sitting here in the observation tower. You're the one in the launching pad. You're the man going to the moon. And you're the one who has to face all the reporters after blast off. Me, I'm glad I'll be up there alone. How much time left, Colonel? Six minutes, 20 seconds. Let's run through the schedule one last time. Okay. I sit in this cradle and I wait for the rockets to toss me up into space. I get 500 seconds of 4G acceleration. Then I sit around and look out the viewport for the next four days while the ship coasts in zero-G free fall. I'm roughly eight and a quarter minutes past four. On Sunday afternoon, the autopilot is going to turn the rocket engines on again. Long enough to land me in the Oceanus Procellarum, which better be as dry as the Palomar boys say it is. I climb into my little Jim Dandy spacesuit, wander around the moon for a while, take some snapshots, pick up a couple of rocks as souvenirs. And 15 hours after landing, I get back into my ship and I come home. Did I leave anything out? Not a thing, Captain. Three minutes, ten seconds. Well, all I do is sit here and wait anyway. Computer down below in the belly of the ship does all the work. Me, Mike Wellman, first man on the moon. Maybe, anyway. What do you mean, maybe? The ship's been tested thoroughly. There's no possibility of... A blow-up? No, go ahead. Don't be afraid to say it. I wasn't talking about that. The odds are pretty good that this bird is going to get me there. Only thing I'm wondering about is whether someone else is going to get there ahead of me. I'd hate to find a big vodka party going on when I get there. 90 seconds. They're clearing the launching pad, Captain. We better break contact now. Good luck. The next time I hear from you, it's going to be from space. Sure, Colonel. I'll report as soon as I'm in free fall. Then radio messages every four hours. 
Uh, you won't forget about those baseball scores, will you? Scores. 30 seconds, Captain. And all America is rooting for you. And I'm rooting for the Dodgers. So long, Colonel. See you next week when I get back. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, mark. Base. How do I come in? We're in shop, Captain. Oh, glad to hear it. Okay, uh, ship's time, 1,452 hours. Blast off went fine from this end. I got through acceleration good enough. 4G's isn't much fun, but I don't mind it in eight-minute stretches. The ship's in free fall now, no gravity at all. And it's weird, all right. Even after all those hours in the training chamber, I still feel a little strange. Very quiet up here. Nice. Man really can think here. And the view is really something. Where do you see the photos? How about the psychological reaction? You don't feel cut off? Me? A guy whose idea of heaven is being along with some books? Colonel, I like it up here. The psych test said I was an introvert, didn't they? Well, not really. Just sort of solitary-minded. Ah, same thing. Well, it's us um, solitary-minded people who are going to be your spacemen, Colonel. We don't mind the loneliness. Listen, Colonel. How are the cosmic ray readings coming through? Perfect. All the equipment seems to be functioning. Uh, including the pilot. Or rather, the live cargo, because that's all I really am. Okay, Colonel, I got a few odd jobs to do on board. I'll be talking to you again in four hours. Over. Here I am again, Colonel. Two days out, still no sweat. I'm getting used to this no-gravity business, and I... Go uh... on with the rest of the report, Captain. There's been a change in the operational plans. Huh? What kind of change? You aren't landing on the moon. Pentagon orders are for you to adjust the computer to alternate course B. Circle the moon and return to Earth without landing. Hey, wait a minute, sir. How come the switch? Well, it's, it's an awkward situation, Captain. You see, between the time I last spoke to you and now, the Russians... I know this will come as kind of a shock to you. The Russians made a successful landing on the moon. No! Radio Moscow announced it two hours ago. And since then, we've picked up broadcasts from the Russian ship. They've landed, all right. They beat us to it. By two stinking days, two days earlier, and I would have been the first. You haven't heard the worst part of it yet. The Russians have claimed the moon. They what? Like Columbus claiming the Western Hemisphere. We're putting up a yell, of course, but there just isn't any precedent for this kind of thing. The U.N. is meeting to decide whether they have any right to. So this is why I can't land, huh? The Russians say they'll regard any lunar landing as trespassing on their property. We can't risk an incident, of course. So for the time being, we're going to hold back and wait till the legal aspect of this business is worked out. So I can't land. They send me up here and I ride around for a week and don't even put my foot down on the moon. Uh Uh-uh, Colonel. Russia doesn't own the moon, no matter what they say. Captain Woman. I'm sorry, Colonel. I'm more than halfway there, and I'm darn if I'm going to miss my chance. I'm going to land, sir. Well, then, listen to me. You can't disobey orders. Yes, I can, sir. I'm landing. Over and out. (laughs) 
it's not that the moon wasn't meant for man. It's just that man was never designed for the moon. It's a fantastically inhospitable place. Harsh, blinding sunlight with no atmosphere to dim it. Jagged shadows. The rocks are hard, sharp-edged. There has been no weathering to soften them, and the shadows are just as hard and black. It's not a nice place to be alone. Or even when there's only one other human being within 200,000 miles. I don't know if you want to hear from me again, Colonel, but I'm beaming this anyway. Look, I just wanted to let you know that I've landed on the moon as originally scheduled. Yeah, right on the nose, in the designated landing area. Northern branch of the Oceanus Procellarum. And you can tell the Palomar fellas that they were right all along. Maybe this was an ocean once, but not in the last million years or so. As for the uh, Russian ship, it isn't any hoax. I saw it when I came down. It's about uh, 50 miles north of here. Maybe later I'll break out the rocket sled and wander over there for some vodka. Uh, the Russians are trying to contact me now. I better shift channel and see what they want. Over, Colonel. <laughs> I'm afraid that uses up my Russian vocabulary, Ivan. How's your English? I am Captain Dmitry Novikov, Solid Space Forces. You are illegally trespassing on our property, American. I am, huh? Say, your English is pretty good, but your politics isn't. You say the moon is yours, huh? Lunar Soviet Socialist Republic? I'm sorry to disagree. Just getting here first doesn't give you the right to claim the whole place, you know. The matter has been considered by our legal experts. We have established prior claim. I am under orders to request you to leave Russian territory immediately. But this is cockeyed, claiming the whole moon. Now, look here, Dmitri. Let you me... will address me as Captain Novikov. Okay. Now, look here, Novikov. The moon's a big place, and there's room for a lot of us up here. It really isn't fair to want to hog the whole thing yourself. The Presidium said Soviet policy, not space pilots. I'm instructed to warn you that you are trespassing. I do not wish to debate the matter, will you? So I'm trespassing, then. What are you going to do about it? My sheep is armed. And you can't figure out any better way of celebrating the conquest of space and starting a war about it? The United States ordered you not to make a landing. They recognize our claim. We cannot tolerate violation of our rights. And you're going to be nasty about it, I see, huh? Well, I'll take my chances. Now I've got some work to do before I go back. I'll be leaving the moon in 14 hours and a bit. Hey, uh, now how long are you staying up here? You've been here better than two days already. You planning to hold the fort forever? My plans for departure should not concern you. Well, I'm just curious, that's all. Okay, Dimitri. Maybe I'll be talking to you again soon. And yeah, you, uh... Sneaky son of a gun, congratulations. You did get here first. Over. Come in, launching base. You hear me? We're getting you, woman. We read you. Look, I, I just had a little chat with the Ruski. There seems to be only one of them. He gave me some malarkey about firing on me if I don't clear off the moon right away. Woman, you insubordinate idiot. You're liable to touch off a war over this moon. Well, what was I supposed to do? Smile politely and turn back just because they got here first? You think they have any right to claim the moon? Of course not. But that's not the point. You were ordered not to risk trouble by landing. Yeah, and I landed anyway. Well, go ahead. Chop my head off when I get back to Earth. 
Meanwhile, I'm here, and if that Russian doesn't blow me up, I expect to do a little exploring in the next 14 hours. I don't think the Russian's going to blow you up. He's got his own troubles. What do you mean? Well, we've decoded some of the messages he's been sending back to Moscow. Seems he made a faulty landing and has to make some repairs on his ship. It may take him a week or two, and he doesn't have enough food. Russia may be crowing about claiming the moon, but it's going to look bad for them if their spaceman can't get back and starve to death. Yeah. Yeah, that would be rough. Uh, maybe I'd better call him back and see if I can help him out. Well, then leave him alone. He's a Russian. He's a human being. And so am I. Get off the wire and let me call him, Colonel. I order you not to make any overtures to that Russian. Look, I'm not on Earth now. There doesn't need to be a Cold War up here, too, Colonel. And I have plenty of food to spare. Give the folks back home my love. I'm going to call Ivan again. <laughs> One thing to make a claim to say, uh, uh, this is mine. It's something else to hold on to it and make the claim stick. Somewhat like the colonel. Uh, it was a little difficult for him to enforce the orders he was trying to give to the man on the moon. Novikov, you getting me? You have 20 hours to leave Russian territory. Then I must command action. Ah, look, don't give me that stuff. I know your ship's disabled and you're in trouble. Gone through. My sheep is in good condition. Dan Trotsky was Rasputin's brother. You know, Novikov, I sometimes feel I'm the only sane man in a world of lunatics. Those idiots down there in Washington didn't want me to land because it might make Moscow sore. And you don't want any help from me because I'm not a good Marxist. It's a losing battle, Dmitri. Everyone seems to know what he really wants, and yet everybody tries hard to get the opposite. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. You just sit tight. I'm going to launch the rocket sled and get over your way with a couple of cartons of provisions. If you won't take food from a lackey of Wall Street, that's your business. I'm coming over anyway. Novikov. My name's Mike Wellman. Why have you done this? What trick are you playing? Listen, friend, all I'm doing is bringing some of my spare food. Nothing up my sleeve at all. I do not understand that. Up my sleeve? It's a decadent capitalist idiom. Means I'm not trying to fool you. The supplies are out on the rocket sled. Get into your suit and let's drag them in. I said I would fire on you. And you bring me food? Yeah, silly, isn't it? But they told me they picked up your messages to Moscow. That you were going to be stuck here a few weeks for repairs. I was not telling the truth. Hmm? This ship will never take off again. The rear rocket tubes are hopelessly crumpled. The fuel field lines are severed. It was a very poor landing. I gave incorrect data to the computer. And you told them you could fix it? They do not like to receive news of failure. Leave me alone, American. Take your food and go away. Hey, what are you going to eat? Rocks? There won't be a rescue ship up here for a month, at least. There will be no rescue ship for me. I do not deserve rescue. You'll just sit up here and starve to death? I made a faulty landing. I cannot return to my country now. And I disobeyed orders. I wasn't supposed to land because the moon is red property now. 
But the only Russian here is stranded, helpless. Do not mock me. I'm not. That's a fine bunch of spacemen you and me are. You smash up your ship and I disobey half my orders. But I'm glad I disobeyed anyway. At least there'll be one practical result of my trip. I'll be saving a man's life. You? Sure. You're coming back with me to Earth. We can jettison some of the meters and stuff and make room for you. I bet you don't weigh more than 150. We can manage. Sure. But save the butts for later. And if you're trying to argue me out of it, I'll slug you. Hello, Colonel. I'm on my way home. Pretty fair blast off, and we're 20,000 miles out from the moon now. Oh, I left a little of the equipment behind. The next ship can pick it up. And I've got a passenger. You mean that Russian? Yeah. Seems his ship was wrecked, so I talked him into coming back with me. He's down back in the galley fixing lunch now. I guess we'll both be called traitors for saying it, but uh, we've sort of become friends. And he doesn't think Russia ought to claim the moon either. Well, we have one distinction anyway. Maybe a Russian ship was the first to get to the moon... But it was the American one that made the first successful round trip. I like to think of it in a different way. Not an American ship or a Russian ship. Stuff like that shouldn't matter anymore. Call it a ship from Earth. Yeah. Novikov and I started out separately, but we're coming back together. The first expedition from Earth to Moon is coming off. <laughs> Fine. 
Would you like a cup of coffee, Captain? You look rather worn out. Oh, no, no, thanks. I... Oh, yes, yes, I, I would like a cup, thanks. I haven't had time to eat since yesterday. Oh, just sit down and I'll be right back with one. Uh, you do look beach, huh? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you there, the glare from that lamp. First kid? Yes. Oh, well, you have three of them like I have. I was uh, out at the base, started for town here. As soon as she phoned, she was leaving for the hospital, but it still takes 40 minutes to get in. You're part of that uh, rocket business? The Space Medicine Experimental. See, is that where they're using you guys as guinea pigs? I read they were even trying to look at them. I'm sorry, I can't talk about it. Oh, but I read it in the paper. Well, I'm sorry, I still can't talk about it. Doesn't that doctor have anything to do but stand around and wait? I'm going to talk to you. Oh, relax. You can't do anything. Here, the doctors can do something. Even the nurses can do something. Fathers can't do anything. You might as well get used to it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Why don't you try to get some sleep? Close your eyes and lean back. Might be hours yet. Yeah, maybe you're right. Oh. It's good to have my eyes closed. Captain. Oh. oh, he's conked out already. Maybe you just better let him sleep. No mental barrier. Future. He seems to be dreaming. I, I never saw a man look so worn out. Go back. Go back into the, into the woods. No point in waking him. No, no. Leave him be. Get the kids and the old people back. You hear me? Over there. Get him back. Back. Safe enough for an hour or two. There. Yeah, it fixes you. 
Now, about my end of it, Harvey. I had the women, children, the old people rounded up before the patrol that spotted us hit. I don't think the Kinnoys even had a chance to count us. I don't think they even guess us to be a party as large as we are. After all, they've cleaned up everything but a few stragglers south of the Great Lakes and west of Denver. Anyway, I got them all back through the woods, and I've set up a separate camp for them about 500 yards back in. Your dad was a big help, by the way. He practically carried your wife most of the trip. I'm afraid it was maybe too much for him. My wife. Now, sit where you are. You can't do anything about her anyway. Oh. There's no reason to expect complications. She had your first son without trouble, didn't she? Yeah, but that, that was in the hospital. Will you forget your wife for five minutes? There's 238 other people here who need you right now. I was giving my report. Go on, go on. It's better. Now, the old people are tired and so are the kids. But the kids will recover. We've got straight woods behind us, and there's about a four-day supply of food left. The question is, can we make the Ketico in that time? My men can get along right well on half rations. Fighting and night marching all the way? And what about my bunch? The young women and the older kids will be all right. The younger kids we can take turns carrying, but the older men and women... Maybe all chase is clear to where the old Canadian border used to be. If we get thick brush before that... You know they will... We have to go deep into the north woods or they'll follow us. That's what's behind this whole Kinoid offensive. They've got to exterminate us inside of the next few years or their own mutated virus diseases will win the war for us. Half the last few Kinoids have been sick and dying. I wish I was sure that is you are, Maria. Well, if I'm not sure, it doesn't matter. Here's a map. Now, here we are now, Harvey. Sixty miles from the border. Yes, yes, I see. What do you want me to do? Do? Are you sick, Harvey? You're in command of this group. Or did that hit on the head knock your brain completely silly? You ought to tell us what to do, Kaiser and me with our group. It must be my head. I don't seem to remember. If you could just let me think for a while. Think? We've got two hours until sundown. And if you want to survive, we've got to head for the border tonight. Are you telling us you aren't fit to command this bunch of ours? I... I'm sorry. All right. You better take over, Clinton. Why not you? You know I can't handle the men. Well, we'll get your group and my group moving as fast as the sun's down. They've all been fed. But Harvey, whatever's wrong with you, you better get over it quick. Because there's 239 people here who'll never reach Ketico without you in charge. I promise you that. I wish we could move the group by road or across farmland. Why not? Why not? You want the Kinoids to spot us. Maria, what are the Kinoids? You know, I... I do believe you mean that. I do. I, I never heard of amnesia like this before. Look, you know you're Harvey Thompson, don't you? Yes. And you know we're in what used to be Minnesota, heading north on foot toward the Ketico Superior National Forest on the Canadian border, don't you? Yes, yes. But you don't know the Kinoids spotted our first attempts at space flight and moved in to wipe us out. No. Why did they? Well, they're from Alpha Centauri, the nearest sun with inhabitable planets by our standards. We'd have headed there next. Well, couldn't anyone explain to them that we wouldn't take their world? Wouldn't we? What makes you so sure? Anyway, this is the way it worked out. Now, if little groups like ours can survive long enough, the kinoids will be decimated by their own mutated diseases. They'll have to pull back. 
we can build again and then go after them. Are they really bugs? Oh, it's just a name some soldiers gave them. No, no, they're almost human, but not quite. Now do you remember? I don't know. Harvey, I shouldn't tell you this, but... I'm fond enough of you to want you whole and sensible again for your own sake, aside from... Aside from what, Maria? Aside from the fact that there's only one man in this group that all the rest will obey without question, and that's you. So far, Clanton and I haven't told anyone that you aren't still giving the orders. Think about that, Harvey. Because if you can't pull us through to safety, nobody can. Remember that. Uh, How are the men, Clanton? Worn out. How are the non-combatants? Too tired to eat breakfast, most of them. I've left orders for them all to get something in them before they try to sleep. Your wife and son are fine, Harvey. She walked partway and rode in the litter when she got tired. Your father is in much worse shape. He'll insist on helping her. Scouts are back in. Got a little stretch of open territory ahead. No way to avoid it. Ken always waiting for us? That's right. About a patrol... They couldn't figure we'd come this way or there'd be more. As it is, we got to get through them fast. They'll be calling for help. How fast? You ready to take over, Harvey? I just wondered, how fast? Fifteen minutes, if we're lucky. And there's 300 yards of open across. Mm-hmm. Then we're in thick brush for at least ten miles. Well, it's best, I suppose, to hit them at twilight? They won't come after us in the dark? Not in the brush. Not even with air spawn. What's the ground like? Give me this stick here. The woods juts out like this, and it's meadows both sides. From this point to where they're sitting. What's that drumming mean? Nothing. They do that morning, noon, and evening. When there's nothing else to do. What's the position? I got them laid out in the grass in a half circle, like you said. Can't we clear around them bugs? All right, take the whistle. Letting us talk by ourselves for a minute. I want a private word with Harvey. All right with me. What is it? You have to move the group right away? Yes, why? Some of mine can't. Well, how bad are they? Pretty bad. They need a day or two of complete rest right now. We can't wait, Maria. We just can't. The Kinoids will be right at our backs at dawn. If they can keep after us and harry us, they'll wear us all down eventually. We can't go on fighting for every little clearing. We've got to lose them now. But who who is it? Which ones can't go on? Not the children. Not my boy. No. Not your wife or your boy or any of that group. 
They've all been worn down by this march, but they're young enough to bounce back. It's the old people that don't. The old? Yes. We've got ten older women, three older men, including your father, Harvey. They can't go any farther. Well, not, not Dad, but he's in good shape for his age. That's just it, for his age. Under ordinary conditions, you don't notice how quickly an old person tires because they're always catching little rests. On a march like this, though... We can't just leave them. We can't... I'm sorry, Harvey. Their lives or the rest of the group. And you're in command. But the Kinoids would find them before noon tomorrow and old people with nothing to defend themselves with... People have sons and daughters in the group, too. They'd never stand for abandoning their parents. It's up to you. Harvey, I'm sorry. If you want me, I'll be over there with Clinton. No, no, I can't. I can't. It'd be kind of the killer ourselves and let the killers. Dad, how, how can I? Some nightmare there. Oh. What is it, nurse? A boy, Captain Thompson. You're the father of a boy. Oh. <laughs> I have to carry him. Oh, that's the older one. He's all right. Oh. Pardon me. I'm, I'm still groggy, I guess. A boy. Oh, where is he? How's my wife? Oh, your wife's just fine. She's still in recovery, and you can talk to her in a few minutes. Oh, good. Your son's in an incubator. He's just a little bit lightweight. You can see him in a minute, too. And the doctor will talk to you shortly, but will you come down the hall right now, and we'll get the birth certificate filled out? Oh, sure, sure. You can sit right there, Captain Thompson, on the side of the desk. Now, what name have you and your wife picked out for a son? Name? I see. Let's see. Oh, yes, Harvey. Harvey Walter Thompson, Jr. Harvey Walter... Captain Thompson? Yes? Well, Captain Thompson, of course, we'll put down whatever you want, but I notice on the admittance slip here your wife's name is down as Mrs. John W. Thompson. Your name is... John. John, that can't be right. Harvey was my wife's choice. She had the name all... My name is John. Well, yes, that's what we have down here on the admittance slip. My son's name is Harvey. Just plain Harvey Walter Thompson. No junior. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's easy to be confused. You'd be surprised at some of the fathers. Captain Thompson, are you all right? Uh, all right, I'm, I'm all right. I'm well, all right. then if you'll sign here. Uh, yes, yes. And now it's official. You've got a son to take care of you in your old age, Captain Thompson. Yes. To make the decision. R. Men first. Scientists later. The fact of being a man 
means that they have human emotions, human needs, wills, desires. It's hard for a scientist, as it is for any other man, to see his whole life orientations, his deepest beliefs, not flat. When Einstein's theories of relativity were first established, there was one of the major astrophysicists who committed suicide. All he believed had been demolished. Are our scientists to be expected to be any more able to take the shattering blow that the reality of clairvoyance would mean than the other people of our society? There have been incidents, but the scientists uh, don't like them. I don't think any of us do, but they're there. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama. Or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.